Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. It feels good, man. It feels good, right? right. Yo, yo, I'm in the light at the end of the tunnel. Paper stacks, yeah. Hello and welcome back to Small Market Bias. My name is Matthew Tynan and joining me today from the great outdoors of his backyard on what has become a uh, beautiful sunny day in San Antonio. It is one Bruno Passos. Hey, Matt. Long time, no pod. Nice to yeah, nice it's to been a while. The airwaves again. How are you doing? I'm good. I was actually shocked uh, last week when I did this with Trevor. I was like, I think it's probably been maybe a little more than a month since we did a pod, maybe a month and a half. And I, I'm not kidding, man. I was, I was shocked to learn that it had been more than two months. It was embarrassing. So I'm glad we're back. Glad to see your face again on the, uh, on the stream yard screen. And, right. uh, glad to see that you're enjoying this day. I'm indoors. I'm sitting here with my air conditioning on and not outside a little bit jealous. Hey, weather, uh, we, might, we might have to sit outside and do a pod one of these days, you know, like in person. That would be nice. Through a computer screen. Nice cold local craft beer <laughs> in my hand. Sounds great. Yeah, no. Temperature is here in San Antonio back in the 70s and 80s. That determines so much of my mood day to day. So I'm, I'm, I'm very happy right now. Yeah, but like under normal circumstances, you know, an 80 degree day or an 85 degree day, like it's supposed to be on whatever Thursday or tomorrow. Normally that would inspire a great mood, but it 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 actually pisses me off because it it's just an omen for terrible things this summer. Like if we're hitting if we're hitting the 80s in mid to late February, it's just it's a terrible sign. So my mood is not made better from this. Yes, it's beautiful outside, but it's it's too beautiful. It shouldn't be this beautiful at this point of the year. It just means bad things are ahead. That's that's all I would say to that. That's fair. Look, yeah, we've we've lived in here long enough to know how it works in San Antonio. And, you know, in general, I think as a common practice, just don't 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 get too happy about things. You know, always find always find the downside in a, in a beautiful uh, 78 degree day or whatever it is right now. Well, anyway, we can we can find the downside in many things. I hate that it has to be beautiful weather, but it's just it it's just the reality of the situation. Um, we got. Some stuff to talk about today. We're going to recap like a little bit of All-Star Weekend. People have been doing that ad nauseum already. Speaking, of, really specific. speaking of negativity. <laughs> yeah, negativity. No kidding. Uh, we haven't really had a chance to talk about the Spurs specifically. And like, you know, Jeremy Sohan didn't score any points in the in the whatever Rising Stars games. Uh, Victor's team in the Skills Challenge was brutal. Also, his team in the Rising Stars Challenge lost to the uh, G league team. So we haven't really had a chance to talk about that. And obviously the national media isn't going to be talking a lot about that stuff. So we can hit on that a little bit, but the, the meat of the podcast today is going to be looking forward at what we're going to be talking about uh, over the last 27 games of the season from both a team perspective and an individual player perspective. So we will be getting into all of that, but first, Bet Online continues to be your number one source for all your basketball wagering needs, including pro and college hoops throughout the year. With up-to-the-minute odds, stats, and trends, you can follow your favorite team's path to the playoffs and in-game live with in-game live betting contests and all the best player props. 
Experience the world's best wagering platform anytime from your desktop or your mobile devices. Head to Bet Online today to become part of the team and remember to use the promo code BELIEVE for your 50% off bonus. That is B L E A V on your first deposit. Bet Online, the game starts here. So before we get into the other stuff, I did have a little bit of a question for you. We did earlier this year, we did first coach to be fired. And uh, since then, I think we've seen three coaches fired. Milwaukee Bucks fired Adrian Griffin. The Wizards uh, fired Wes Unseld. Um, And then yesterday, I guess, uh, the Brooklyn Nets fired Jacques Vaughn. Was it yesterday or the day before? Whenever it was. Um, Have there been any other ones? I don't think there have. Eh, Whatever. It doesn't matter. Now we're going to do next head coach fired. And I have a list of seven. I have a list of seven names. And you actually, when we did this months and months ago, you nailed the the number one spot with Billy Donovan. Uh, he is not the number one spot. He is on this list. I will give you that. But he is not the number one spot anymore. Can you guess the number one spot <laughs> at plus two at plus two hundred to be the next head coach fired in the NBA? Plus two hundred. Give you a hint. I'll give you a hint. I'll give you a hint. Uh, number one and number two are both in the Western Conference. Number one and number two are both in the West. That's 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 helpful because I was I was leaning east for uh, my number one choice. Um, okay. You know what? It, it's it's tough because the teams that are kind of underperforming in the West, like towards the very bottom, were expected to or have just had um, you know out, outlier circumstances like the Memphis Grizzlies. Um, so. But I don't know. They do. They do stand out as a team that's got a little bit more pressure going into next season. I don't know if there's been much in the way of um, X's and O's questions around what. Um, uh, why can't I remember who's the Grizzlies coach? Taylor Jenkins. Taylor Jenkins has done. I think he's always had sort of a, a pretty good Q rating. Um, yeah. You know, I, I think I, the Lakers didn't stand out to me as a team. So let's let's just let's just go for it right off the bat. Can I say Darvin Ham? Lock it in. Darvin Ham is number two at <sighs> plus two fifty. Close. Good guess. But kind of kind of go kick back against what you just said a second ago in terms of like (laughs) bottom of the barrel and 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 underperforming and stuff like that. Like kind of dive into that a little bit. And you should come out with number one, at least uh, on a on a try or two or three. Um, And it isn't Greg Popovich. (laughs) Up sitting at the bottom, 1144. Uh, God bless his uh, that job security is ironclad no matter what. <laughs> yes. um, and look, well-deserved, of course. Uh, you move up the, the rankings, you've got uh, the Portland Trailblazers at 15 and 39, the aforementioned Grizzlies at thir- 20 and 36 as we as we pod, uh, the mm-hmm. Rockets and the Jazz. Hmm. Uh, and then the Golden State Warriors at 10th, who, look, I guess 27 and 26 is underperforming for them. Uh, and they definitely merit consideration before you move up through the play-in into the playoffs. Um, it seems it seems like it would be a little bit harsh on Chauncey Billups. Um, I feel like Taylor Jenkins has uh, earned a little bit more cachet. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ime Udoka. I'll say is, I'll say this: there, Taylor Jenkins and Chauncey Billups are both on this list. Interesting. Okay. Um, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna go back to back with the, our two California teams that are um, come with higher expectations, and this guy who. Um, 
look, he didn't get the Jonathan Kaminga vote of confidence, and that that that, that weighs in uh, more and more. And for lack of uh, confidence in the others, I'll go with Steve Kerr number one. Steve Kerr, holy crap! No, it's Chauncey. Yeah, it's Chauncey. Okay. It's Chauncey is number one. Darvin Ham is number two. And for the sake of time, uh, we'll we'll kind of we'll we'll move through these a little. I told you beforehand that I found two names on this to be surprising, and one of them. Uh, was Taylor Jenkins. I mean, there are some really serious, you know, circumstances that have led to, you know, the Grizzlies demise, not just the 25 games John Morant was suspended, but then like almost right away, he injures his shoulder and is out for the season. Um, and then the other guy I was surprised by was Quinn Snyder. I, like he, he just got the job mid season last year. That's always tough as doc rivers will let you know over and over and over and over again, that it's difficult to come into a, a job midseason, but like that's a really difficult task. That's a roster that he had really no say over. Like he just kind of parachuted in and and tried to rescue it. This isn't like a, a roster that he, you know, in theory, I guess, isn't maybe one that he would. I don't know how much Quinn Snyder, how much say he's had in the past. I know that he was promised some power uh, when the Hawks signed him, so. There's probably still a little bit of uh, of work ahead of him. So it really surprises me that he's on the list. It surprises me a little bit that <laughs> that Monty Williams is on the list simply because of his contract. Like, I cannot believe they would sign him to such a, a ludicrous contract and fire him before the season ends or, like, be the next head coach fired. Even in Detroit's playing a little better. Uh, he's fourth on the list. Steve Clifford is third. Charlotte's been playing better. Um, Billy Donovan, your boy is still on the list at number six. So it's in order. Chauncey Billups, Darvin Ham, Steve Clifford, Monty Williams, Quinn Snyder, Billy Donovan, and Taylor Jenkins. And there are more, um, there are more on, uh, bet online site, but these are the seven that I was, uh, sent via email and I thought I'd sort of condense it a little bit. So, but yeah, those are the, those are the next seven. Still liking those Donovan odds. Still liking them. Liking them even more now. Well, well, the the odds are like. Hold on. Let me let me go back. The odds for Billy Donovan are now plus twenty five hundred. Like there's value, a guys. there's a that's it's good value if you're but, if you're looking to profit off of someone else's failure. Yeah. Uh, and uh, look, you know, however you you guys want to make a living, but. Um, yeah, there's not there's not always rhyme or reason right. to to way the way the uh, they do these odds, and there's not always rhyme or reason to how coaches are um, the ones that are fired. So um, always unfortunate, no, not. Um, but uh, yeah. So who knows that there, we were the the odd the shortest odds before did not hold up with with Billy Donovan preseason. So we'll, we'll see what kind of shakeup. Uh, but uh, yeah, probably, Steve Kerr probably not the best bet uh, in, in immediate retrospect. Yeah, he's he's not on the list. <laughs> um, I don't know if he he'll ever be on that list, but. He doesn't even have a contract going through going forward next year yet. Oh, so the Steve Kerr situation yeah, is going to be, be interesting to watch. He'll, he'll, he'll be in a different uh, list for odds, I imagine. Maybe one around uh, next next Spurs head coach, probably. Yeah, he might. He might. Um, all right. I know that the All Star Game has been talked about ad nauseum, but we've sort of shared our thoughts in in DMs with one another, even you know, doing the whole thing that everyone else is doing. How do you fix the all-star game? How do you fix the dunk contest? All this stuff. I, I don't really know the answer to the questions. 
just simply because like how do you when when players are incentivized to stay healthy and be there for their team on the other side of the all-star break the sort of criticism that would be received if someone got hurt in these events um the fact that it's just an exhibition there there a lot of these guys just really want to be on vacation because the season's so grueling um there it's it's this whole circle of questions that never seem to be answered with any sort of definitive definitively i should say but just in general whether it's the all-star weekend itself or you know the spurs participation in it did you have any any uh lasting thoughts here now that we're three days removed from that sort of disaster of an all-star game on sunday uh and and it was it was yeah overall not a, not a weekend that really merited watching no. so you you understand why there have been so many pods and conversations about it and we don't need to contribute too much to it um i do think that uh, the points i've seen around um uh just i think a lack of connection between player and fans compared to maybe years past where they saw this as such an important touch point um between like between players and and, and the fans like i mean i remember when it was i still remember when they came when it came to san antonio and uh, yeah. how, how much I really wanted to get out there and just take it in however I could, whatever the events were and um, uh, the jam jam session, all that stuff was, you know, really cool just as a kid. And I feel like that weight of, as, as a, as just kind of a touch point is, is just not there for all the reasons you cited. And I think with a lot of issues around the NBA, it's, it's not always distilled to just one thing. There's a, there's a whole holistic thing that the league has to look at and see what, what, what are the contributing problems outside just the weekend lacking luster. Um, I will say to make this first specific, one of the few players that I think actually kind of cared about all of it was Victor Wembanyama. Yeah, and yeah. and and the league maybe missed a trick by not um, rigging the 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 <laughs> the um, reserves all star voting because that yeah. guy cares. Yeah. You want you want yeah. people who care. Victor cares. Um, he he's, he he looked visibly upset when his uh when his team did not perform well in the um in the skills challenge i think um visibly upset when anthony edwards was shooting three-pointers left-handed come on like so yeah you, <laughs> like, as, much as, as much as we love ants antics and 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 just him as a as, as a star in the league it's that 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 kind of disappointed me a little bit like um and disappointed yeah. Vic. Uh, and um, you know, he, he was asked about like participating in other events and being game for that. I think he sees the importance of it as um, something that just contributes to his, his profile. You know, maybe you could say, I don't know, I don't want to say his brand, but something along those lines. Um, and he's a guy who I think would have um, definitely appreciated the moment if he was in the game. And I think he would likely do so year in, year out. So um, I think that's something that the league can at least count on in the years to come is, is having one of its faces of the league actually carry more um, in a way that a lot of them don't. Well, and he, like he even told, you know, Tom Orsborne of the San Antonio Express News asked him as much afterward. And he said, you know, I know a lot of these guys want to come out here and have fun. And then he said something along, along the lines of, but to me, fun is winning. And, and he's always sort of been like that. And, uh, you know, I think, it, there's no question that he is this ultra, ultra competitive dude. And he has talked about wanting to participate in every, eventually at least participating in every single all-star weekend event. I don't know if he'd be great in the dunk contest, but maybe he could just do some 
crazy stuff with his length. I'm not sure. But uh, one of the things that like when he's young and, and really wanting to get involved with all of this stuff and you say, you say maybe brand isn't the, the way to put it. The, uh, billboards just went up around San Antonio with, with Victor Wimbanyama posing in Louis Vuitton gear. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. You didn't make it as the, as the brand ambassador of Louis Vuitton that I know you were in the short <laughs> on the short list, but, um, the shorter list about a foot and a half shorter. Yeah. Um, but you wonder if like, eventually, like we've seen guys like this in the past, I seem to remember Giannis being really, really geared up for these events when he first started blowing up, getting onto the scene. It took him a few years, obviously, but you wonder if at some point Victor is going to, I'm not saying necessarily stop caring, but understand sort of where the other players are coming from as they age and as they really start to value rest, even though he already really values rest. It's, it's one of those things that it would be awesome if over the next, you know, however long his career is uh, that he's always going to be this hyper competitive type of player. And I, I agree with you. Like if he's in that event, is he, he, and he seems, he seems so confident and comfortable with himself and not necessarily concerned with what other people think about him. Because I think a huge part of all-star weekend, whether it's even, even when it's the dunk contest um, and especially in the all-star game, like there's this element where, Oh, he's not trying very hard. Well, I'm going to be a loser if I'm trying too hard, right? Like people are going to look at that and say, Oh, this guy, this guy is super lame because he's trying to show us up or he's trying to, He's the guy in a pickup game who's playing way, way, way too hard. And you kind of wonder if Victor would be that guy, like chasing down blocks, not letting not letting people get their dunks off or their three-pointers off, all this stuff. But I would love to see it because I would love to see how the other players responded or if they'd be like too cool to respond to someone trying too hard. I don't know. It would be it would be a, a an interesting dynamic. In, yeah. in a weekend that has become so, you know, you talked about how players used to really care, connect with fans, all this stuff. These events have become so corporate and commercialized and all of this stuff. It, 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 and, and by the way, the whole thing was like the game was played in a football stadium. I think the dunk contest was too. It wasn't in the Pacers arena. It was in at Lucas Oil Field. Yeah. And that's just cavernous. Like we went, we, we watched... Last season, we watched a basketball game in a football stadium. We were on the floor, so it was right there in front of us. But like you could, when you're walking around there, the the views you're you're a million miles from the court, and everything is so cavernous that like you could barely hear the crowd booing Jalen Brown when he just jumped over a little dude sitting in a chair and and uh, <laughs> dunked it. But like they were, they were legitimately booing. The the you I I mentioned like that was such a bad dunk contest, and you look back and like, what's his name? Jacob Toppin. I think it's Jacob Toppin. Like he had a he had a between the legs three sixty dunk. It was badass. He got he got ripped off on the score, but like there were some okay dunks in the dunk contest. But the vibes were terrible. Yeah. Like there just there 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 wasn't feeling in it. Like it you couldn't tell that there was a crowd that was excited at all about it. And 
TNT's announced crews all weekend were oof. They had a bad weekend in so many different ways. And we don't have to get into all that, but uh, it, it just, the vibes of All-Star Weekend this year were just terrible. And I don't know how you fix that unless you, and players have hinted at this, like they want to be paid more than they already are. Um, the winner of the NBA All-Star Game gets $100,000. The loser gets $25,000 to them all-stars like to, if, if we're talking about guys at the end of the bench uh or or young young players they're obviously not getting that kind of money but the guys that are playing in this game are being paid like three times more than that for a single nba game so they're gonna want more and i just think the optics of uh, the financial incentive like more financial incentive to play in these games i think that's gonna rub the fans the wrong way. I think that's going to rub a lot of media members the wrong way. I think just people in general, it would rub them the wrong way. So is it the format of the game that needs to change? I've brought up to you that I think that the NBA all-star game should incorporate the rising stars challenge format of the target score, like four teams of seven players with a target score. And you have the little mini tournament. You have to score like immediately to get to 40 or 50, whatever they want to make it. And so it makes for a competitive game, like basically from the start. I don't know. I think there are ways to change it. I, you know, I don't, I don't know how much the NBA is going to be interested in. They've done the actual all-star game for, I'm not sure how long it's been or how long they've been doing it, but I know that all-star has been going back at least to the seventies, at least to, uh, to the, the merger, I believe. So I'm not a great historian, so it, there might be some of you in the comments who could correct me on that, and I'm not looking it up right now. <laughs> but it's always been a game. It's always been an actual NBA game, you know, four 12-minute quarters. I know they tried the target score in the fourth quarter a couple of years ago, a few years ago, I'm pretty sure they did. Um, yeah. But, you know, they've tried a few different things. It doesn't, this just doesn't seem to be going anywhere. And I don't really know the answer. It's and it's a complicated situation because on one hand, like we could treat it as, okay, it's just an exhibition. Who cares? Blah blah blah. Don't let this stuff bug you. It's a break. Have fun. It, goof around. Whatever. Uh, or you could look at it as, no, this is a huge television product for TNT. This is like sort of their uh, one of their really big events every year the you know when you're looking at tv rights deals like that's a big it plays a big part in those negotiations and then on top of it like fans vote for you it's supposed to be about the fans you're supposed to put on a show for them it's almost like a civic duty of yours as an nba player but i don't know can't i can't blame dudes who don't want to get hurt or don't want to be going all out when they really do need a break from the NBA season. So I don't know. I don't know what the best answer is. I, I think that in general, like if you inspire competition, like if you make these games close, like in 2020, we had a great finish to the NBA all-star game because it was close late in the game. So that's why I kind of bring up the rising stars challenge thing is that you, you sort of create this built in, uh, competition from the start. If you're making sort of, if you're shrinking the games and making it to where you don't, you're not messing around completely for three quarters and suddenly 
because one team is making more threes than the other, it's a 25 point game heading into the fourth quarter. Other than that, I'm not really sure what you do. Yeah, I, I think, as you said, there's a lot of different levers that can be pulled for this to, to try and improve it. I, I get the financial reasoning to try and keep it going. I, I like it for, you know, just the kind of spectacle it should be. Um, but yeah. I, I do appreciate as well the um, this kind of theme that just keeps growing around Adam Silver, where, you know, it's sort of his legacy or his tenure is being defined by ha- trying to artificially create these guardrails and either carrots or sticks yeah. to... to um, to control and drive uh, player behavior, player effort, right? We've got now mm-hmm. uh, the 65 game minimum. We've got uh, attempts to make the regular season more um, meaningful with the uh, the in-season tournament. Uh, we've got all of these kind of mechanisms that Adam Silver is trying to put to, um, you know, address some real issues with, with the league. And this is just an, another one that he's got to, kind of rub his temples and try and figure out. So I, I don't necessarily know the answer, but I, I, I like that this is kind of um, starting to become the defining theme of the Adam Silver era for, for better or worse. How about his, 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 uh, his post game when he's delivering the trophy to the Eastern conference. And he was like to the Eastern conference, you scored the most points. <laughs> well, congratulations. Like he was clearly livid at the effort that was put forth because he had, I mean, people have been going on all week about uh, trying to push these guys, trying to inspire them to put forth more effort. I mean, this has been like a whole big thing coming into this season, especially because they're about to enter this negotiation window with TV rights that their whole thing was like, they're going to try, <laughs> they're going to try this year. They're going to try this year. He even sent, who was it? Like, Larry Bird and Dr. J. And I think I saw like Andre Iguodala that they had guys go in and talk to these players. Like you got to put forth effort. You got to try hard, blah, blah, blah. And it just, it just didn't work. He was a school principal uh, whose students had, uh, you know, put on this performance in front of the parents all bigged up and they just like mooned the crowd or something. And he had to go up there and still give them a prize for it. That's right. Uh. We'll do this all again next year, right? Like, it, like I don't know if any of this is going to change unless they really take a, a, a drastic leap and and just totally try something different. I don't know. I would rather I would rather them pay players to be. I would rather them pay stars to be in the dunk contest than the All Star game itself. That's just me because those guys they don't. I don't know if it's that they don't want to be shown up. Like especially when you're talking about like none of these NBA players want to be shown up by Mac McClung, this little white dude from the G league. Like nobody wants to be shown up by that guy. J- good on Jalen Brown, even though his dunk stunk. And we kind of figured they would, cause he's more of a power dunker than he is a, 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 a leaper, like an explosive bouncy pogo stick type of guy that you want to see in these dunk contests, but good on him for doing it. Right. <laughs> like, I, what was it? Was it? Yes. Would, would it have been a better contest know. without those horrible dunks and, and the, 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 the unjust high scores that they were given to push them into the final? I don't know. Yeah, you might be right. But I'm just looking at it from a perspective of like, at least he at least he went out there like I, at I, least a, an NBA star went out there and performed. I would have picked a whole bunch of guys to do it over him. But like, at least he had the, I don't know, man, at least he had the balls to do it because everyone else just seems like they're 
they don't want to like tarnish tarnish their image. Yeah, that's that's at least what it looks like to me. Yeah, maybe, I, I don't know what else it would be. Maybe it's a G League event. G League G Leaguers can probably pull off better. Do, do you want to see stars doing it at this point? Like, what's the difference? What's the drop off from? Uh, a, a, well, big drop off from a normal player to a, well, uh, your average household name to a Jacob Toppin um, and to yeah. a Mac McClung. So what's what's why not just like make it into an actual um, a, a demonstration of, um, a, you know, give a shit um, creativity and people who don't have um, to worry about, you know, getting, you know, ripped on social media because it, it's uh, unbecoming of them to do a get a 42 in a, in a in a dunk contest i mean if we're looking at it from like a corporate standpoint tv ratings like if how many people actually knew if, if you're really you know a hoop head or you're really paying attention like going into last year you knew that mac mcclung could dunk but like the the public at large probably didn't and until he showed what he could do then people started jumping on board. Like then people started getting excited about Mac McClung. But prior to that, I don't know. I, I just, I think that star power in any of these events, like one of the reasons the, the, the three point shootout works so well is it's like all these NBA stars. And then like the Sabrina versus Steph thing this year was awesome. That was probably the, the three point contest and the uh, Sabrina versus Steph thing were by far the coolest parts of the weekend. Um, but you have all that star power out there, and that's why people enjoy it. With the dunk contest, it's like, who the hell is Jacob Toppin? Oh, that's Obi Toppin's little brother. He's in the G League. And you, no one knew who he was. He had one of the coolest dunks of the night. And I'm with you. Like, it's, it's, uh, you want to see cool dunks. At the end of the day, you want to see cool dunks. And if you're, if you're putting those up there, if you're putting on a show, People will come around. They'll see it and they'll, and they'll watch all the clips and all this stuff because they'll hear about it. But in terms of, of, of ratings, like if if the public at large doesn't know who these dudes are, they might turn off, turn away from it or not pay attention to it or turn it off completely. I don't know. I just think that's that's sort of been the the premier event of that of the weekend. Like in a lot of ways, a uh, uh, more marquee event than the the all-star game itself is the dunk contest like when you think back on all-star weekends you think back to all the great dunk contests of years past and it's just the product just continues to diminish and i think a lot of that has to do with the fact that stars aren't in it i don't know maybe i'm wrong but i just still think that star power is important to that event even if you have badass dunkers in the g league or people have also uh, you know, suggested bringing in these dudes who are like, you know, street ballers, like who are out here at Rucker Park, like with dunking like crazy, like bringing dudes out of nowhere to compete again and who against whoever. Maybe that, maybe that would work. But it's to me, it's more about marketing the event. And when you don't, when you have names that nobody knows, like you're just not, you're likely not going to get the same numbers and and all the nba cares about is getting the numbers at this point especially especially when they're looking for a new tv deal so that's true i don't know people are going to find something to complain about it no matter what it's probably the, the every year cynical, every the cynical year. take as well so uh damned if you do damned if you don't yep 
I agree. All right, let's uh, let's okay. Enough All Star Week. That that went way way that longer than much. I planned. That was too much. But but it's okay. It's okay. Well, let's talk about the Spurs now, Bruno. There are 27 games left in the season. Uh, the Spurs are 11 and 44. They are much worse than I think. Well, whatever. Much worse. They're just flatly worse than a lot of people expected them, myself included, and I think yourself included, expected them to be this year from a record standpoint. And, and you know, flatly from a performance standpoint. Let's, before, okay, we're going to do team first. We're going we're gonna to look ahead, talk about expectations for the team moving forward. Then we'll move on to players after the break. So, Bruno... From a team perspective, what are you looking for over the final 27 games of the season? It could be one thing, two things, three things, whatever you're looking for. Yeah. Let me throw this back to you real quick. Uh, okay. I, saw, I saw this question in the rundown, and it immediately made me think of like how I approach it, which is, are is there anything that you really need to learn from this season in a bigger picture that you're waiting to um, kind of apply to how this team approaches you know, the offseason the next few years? Um players that need to prove something systemic things that you, you really need to see that just be, that may be defined in the next 27 games or are, do you have a set of assumptions and you're waiting for some things to just kind of fall in place to, to kind of uh, help you decide on things? Cause that, that's sort of where I'm at. I'm, I'm sort of in the latter. Like I, I do feel like we've seen despite this team playing better in the new calendar year. Um, I think there's still what five and six and 17, five and 17, something like that in, in 2024. It's not, the wins have not come, and I think that is at least a little um, informative on uh, how many how how many changes you can with the ingredients that you've got. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, I, I think that's where I approach it. How about you? Before I get into like what what I'm looking for, how did you approach the? No, like, no, no. The, the yeah, go ahead. I'm. Uh, that's actually uh, that's the better way of framing it. I'm actually writing in uh, something th- that fits exactly what you're talking about right now. So no, that's a. I think that's a great way to look at it. Like let's let's um I would say that there's kind of a mixture of both. Like there there are and I guess we could probably get into this from the individual perspective later, but like there are some things that I would like to see just over these next 27 games that don't necessarily I mean obviously with this team everything is connected to the future, right? Like we have to view this team through a future lens. But no, I, I think that I think that you're the way that you phrase it is perfect. So go ahead. OK, so, yeah, there's no saving this season as fun as it's been in no. a few ways. It's been fun. It's uh, it's it's, it's uh, for all intents and purposes done. So um, but there are some things that like have been positive. Um, I think going into the season, I did not know how much of an anchor Victor Wembanyama might be offensively. We knew what the yeah. defensive um, upside looked like, and we've seen so much of it already. But we've also seen the the creativity, the effectiveness, the domination that he can have when given space uh, since moving to uh, the, the Nozak Collins starting lineup. Um, and I just kind of want to see them continue to lean into that offensively. What is what is the Victor-centric offense look like? Um, keep getting him uh, more comfortable, uh, passing out of double teams, reading, those, reading where the pressure is coming from. Um, and just experimenting with that usage, not necessarily upping that usage because of where, uh, how high it is already. I don't think you need to necessarily get more Victor, but, um, just seeing experimenting with the ways in which that can, uh, continue to get optimized either with these pieces or, um, treating these pieces as placeholders for the future is, um, probably my number one. Um, 
I'll throw in as well. Uh, since the start of the year, uh, with the um, new starting lineup with Trey Jones in the mix as well, we've gotten a positive net rating from that starting lineup, as well as one with Keldon Johnson uh, replacing Vic, uh, Julian Champagny, which is good. The rest of the lineup's awful. So yeah. uh, I'm open to seeing some more experimentation outside of the top six, whether that's how you use those players, who you mix in. Um, I would like to see a little bit more um, in, in, in that approach and in, in the rest. So things around Victor when Victor's on the floor and then um, seeing what those reserve units, what those hybrid lineups look like um, and just maybe giving some guys a longer leash, experimenting a little bit more with Malachi or with Keldon. Um, even even um, Jeremy Sohan and the no Victor uh, minutes, just uh, letting those guys stretch their legs a little bit um, in addition to uh, when Victor's on the floor, just continuing to build around um, what that offense looks like with him as a hub. So I um, I talked to at uh, practice today, the Spurs, it, today is, uh, we're recording this on Wednesday. It should go out today. I'm not sure if I'm going to uh, put this pod out today, Wednesday or first thing Thursday morning. Uh, I'm writing something as well. So I'm trying to put these things in order and space them apart as much as I can, but we will see. You can't write and edit a pod at the same time. It's hard. It's difficult to do. Um, I, I guess I need to practice harder, but, but one of the things that, uh, we, we, we got to talk to, uh, Devin and Keldon today at practice. And I asked, uh, both of them because whenever that, you know, whenever you have breaks like these, the players rest, they, they, they're with their families. They take a little time off. They, you know, stay in shape, work out, they're in the gym, all this stuff, but they just kind of take a chance to relax. But like Popovich, well, he always dedicates time to his family. He's like constantly, constantly thinking. And, and I know that whenever they have breaks like these, they have extended breaks. Like pop is always tinkering with stuff. He's always watching film, always bringing new things back to uh practices and to games whenever they all sort of resume normal activities and so i asked both of them if like new uh you know new packages have been installed new sets uh new schemes and they all and they both basically said like yeah there there's some new stuff that we're excited to try i don't know what that means yet i guess we'll see but uh you talk about the a lot of the stuff with victor Wembenyama, and we've seen it as the year goes on and it's been like this the last couple of years when uh, considering how young the Spurs are, they're starting from scratch. They're teaching a lot of these kids how to play basketball, like straight up, because unless you're, unless you're a foreign player, like the American basketball system sucks when it comes to teach, like when it comes to these guys being ready to play NBA basketball. And I think you've, you've seen the way a guy like Blake Wesley has grown. You've seen the way a guy like Dominic Barlow has grown, even like, Trey Jones, when he came into the league, like he, the, the improvement that he made from year one to year two and year two to year three were, were massive. Um, especially like considering his, his general talent level, but I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing, um, you know, early in the season, Victor kind of did whatever he wanted and, and it took a lot of bad shots, uh, was way too aggressive off the dribble. He got himself in trouble a lot, was quite inefficient but as the season has gone along he's seemed a lot more steady they've gotten the ball to him in more specific spots on the floor where he's been able to operate more effectively so we've seen slowly their we we've seen their progress from a schematic standpoint from 
a package standpoint, from a set standpoint. The Spurs are not a team that runs a whole bunch of sets or individual plays. It's they they run much more of a flow offense. They always have. They've never been a, a team that runs a ton of sets every time down the floor. And so I'm going to be, but at the same time, like they still have always had their, like their go-to plays and their pet plays that, that, that are, that cause so much confusion, have so many different uh, outlets at, at each point, each connection point, essentially. Uh, And this team is way too young to have the sort of familiarity with, with one another that the teams of the past did, but I am going to be interested to see. What kind of stuff they have designed for Victor? What kind of stuff they have designed for Devin? Uh, because I I do expect that we'll that we will see more of that stuff. And you know, it's whenever you have young teams like this, like you want to see how well they execute. It's not always pretty, but because when you're running set plays in the NBA, like they have to be so crisp and so fast, they have to develop so quickly. So it's going to be interesting to see how well they execute. And then, uh, yeah, from, I think from my perspective, one of the things that I want to see over the last 10 games, and this might, this might surprise you a little bit over the last 10 games, the Spurs have the 13th ranked defense in the NBA, uh, defensive rating under 115. It's pretty good. I mean, this, this was the worst defense in NBA history, essentially last year. And, uh, of course, a lot of that has to do with when with Wembenyama's minutes, but we've seen games recently where Sohan is locking people down. We've seen, and I I know people will probably scoff at this, but like we've seen games recently where Keldon Johnson is playing good defense. Blake Wesley has made an impact it, it, like every single time he's on the court from a defensive perspective. Uh, Devin has had his moments. He's still, he's, he still gets beat a little too easily off the dribble, but he's done, you know, he's, he's, he's solid in recovery. Um, you know, they are a team that has a ton of weaknesses defensively. So it's never going to be as presently constituted. Like this roster is never going to be some elite defense. Even if Victor Wembenyama is on your team, you need guys to lock in and, you know, put, put effort, put forth energy on that side of the floor and execute frankly, and, you know, communicate well, all of this stuff. So I think I would like to see them continue uh, in terms of the defensive improvement that they've made over the course of this season. And especially over the last 10 games, I'd like to see that continue because the, uh, the offense is not going to be good. They traded away their best shooter. Victor Wembanyama is going to be hounded all the time. He's still figuring things out. He's still getting pushed around a little bit sometimes. He's going to have some great games, but I don't think he's going to be this super efficient scorer like for the rest of this season. I think going forward into the future, he's going to be a monster. But for this season, like this team just doesn't have enough spacing right now, uh, doesn't have enough shooting. I think when I talked about the installation of new packages and new schemes, like it's going to take time to adjust to some of that stuff. So I don't expect any major developments on the offensive end, but I just think that there's a ton of room to improve defensively. And if they're able to string like a whole third of a season together with, with solid defense, like whatever middle of the pack to, you know, 15 to 20 somewhere in there, like if they can finish the season in that range, 
I think that's a major accomplishment for this group. So that's that would be the other one that I'm that I'm looking at is is just consistency, consistency, consistency on the defensive end. I had seen those numbers uh, with the, the defensive rating. It's super promising. Um, obviously, Victor's impact is huge in that. I, I think I, I, I don't see why they can't, um, especially March is kind of a funny uh, month uh, in the NBA season in terms of sometimes teams are um, starting to lock in for the, the, the playoffs. And that's when you, you get these sort of outlier performances. So I, see, I do see like a team like this showing some promise in ways that maybe they hadn't, especially because of the, the continuity and familiarity that they've been building. So, um, yeah, this, this should in many ways be their best month um, yet. Even I think even with uh, Doug's departure, I think there's um, a lot to still look forward to on, on with the on-court product, even if the wins don't come. It kind of it just dawned on me that we never really talked about the the McDermott trade. Uh, I, I mean, I get it. It's one of these things where I I was on a space before the trade deadline, and I think they were asking me um, on a Twitter space. I think they were asking me, you know, who, what are the chances that this player gets traded or this player gets traded? And I just wasn't, I wasn't sure on McDermott. I think I said 50-50 or I said, you know, questionable or whatever the the term was that I used. But it, it, it surprised me a little bit because obviously they traded for a second round pick. They're just adding to their war chest so that they're able to combat the other teams like Utah and Oklahoma city who also have a bunch of picks and they just want to be able to throw as many into a trade as they can at some point. So I get it. Um, especially considering, I don't know, I guess it wasn't realistic that they were going to be re-signing McDermott in the off season, considering how many picks they have coming up, considering the fact that they really are going young, but it, like all those things make sense, but the reason I said it was kind of 50 50 to me was because, like, he is by far their best shooter, or was by far their best shooter. And this is a team that already was already struggling to space the floor. And, um, it so on top of that, he's the he's one of the vets on the team. I mean, he was the oldest play, he was the oldest player on the team, uh, the only guy in his 30s on the basketball team. So, it surprised me not just the fact that they that they just sold him for a second round pick, but also like getting rid of a veteran presence. I don't know. Was it surprising to you at all? Because this was a team that like, yes, Doug McDermott's defense was terrible. It was bad. Um, and I'm sure that played a part in the in the decision making, like even going forward. OK, he gives, but he also takes away. He gives offensively, but he takes away defensively. But it did surprise me because there were plenty of games in his first career where he would come in and, you know, light up an opposing defense and keep the Spurs in a game or or, you know, essentially uh, win games for them in a number of cases. So I don't know. For me, it was surprising, but I don't think that it was as surprising to a lot of people as it was for me. Yeah, um, it was a little surprising. I mean, to add to what you said, he was somebody who expressed, you know, he's very happy to be in San Antonio anytime he spoke about yeah. it legitimately. And um, I think the Spurs take that into account in some way. Um, 
but you know these things happen don't always happen in 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 just one siloed view they're they're thinking about the on-court product they're thinking about assets but sometimes they want to do right by a guy as well um so there could be the component of just putting him on a, a team that's competitive where um they, they fire up a lot of threes in indiana um and yeah, they uh, do. he'll he'll be a part of that run and gun show um they care less about defense there than pop does probably right now um well and they also traded buddy healed so like they yeah, needed they, a needed, they needed shooting and it, yeah yeah, so it's, I think, quite possibly a, a better, if not more engaging fit for him, at least through the end of the year. Um, and yeah, I mean, def- I, I think they definitely didn't see him as necessarily a part of the um, long-term Victor-centric future as well. So it, it, it made sense. I don't think I was totally surprised, but um, raised a bit of an eyebrow. And you always try and read between the lines and see what, 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 is, what does that really say about where this bird's yeah. head, head is at, which sometimes it says something, sometimes it doesn't. Well, I mean... I think it definitely, when you talk about like where their head's at, I think it definitely speaks to the fact that they're they're more than comfortable with sticking to the youth movement, like really being firm in and determined to succeed with this youth movement. And just if if McDermott was out the door, you got to get something for him, right? So. If they didn't have plans on re-signing him, you got to get something for him. And I and you know, Pop spoke to your point. He after the trade, he uh, he mentioned the fact that like that he's going to a place he knows. He's going back to Indiana. He's familiar with the city, with the people, all this stuff. He uh, should be in line for minutes and should be a major contributor right away. So yeah, I. I guess it, it it makes sense. The Spurs are always good about sending guys to places they're comfortable. I mean, last year it was Jakob Pertl back to Toronto. This year it's Doug McDermott back to Indiana. So they, they do make it a point to do right by their guys. And um, if it was only a second pick that they got in return, so be it. And they're going to have more financial flexibility going forward. Of course, he was a free agent, so it may not have mattered. But at least they, at least they got an asset for him. At least they got one measly little second round pick for him but it's yeah i i just think that in general well actually let's let's take a break real quick and then we can get onto the other side of the of the uh of the tracks and talk about individual players because i do think that that's where the conversation becomes more interesting uh so yeah we'll be back in just a second all right, we're back. Uh, Bruno, I know you got to get out of here pretty soon, so I'm going to give you first dibs on individual players and sort of through the same lens of not just what you're looking for for the rest of the season, but how it looks moving forward, what sort of answers or what sort of questions you want answered as the Spurs venture into a stretch of years where like they have a whole bunch of draft picks and the, and, and the expectations are only going to be be hiked up from here in in major ways and i'm i'm not sure who's going to be a part of this whole uh train moving forward but there are a lot of questions that need to be answered you're right um i don't know how many more questions i have at this point to be honest with you like just yeah we are two-thirds through the season um i'm trying to be as optimistic as i can about a lot of these guys um but i'll go with three uh that i well actually i'm gonna cut <laughs> i'm gonna go with two that uh, I, I am legitimately curious about. Um, I'm going to start with one that's probably not at the top of the list in terms of um, real game changers for the future, but it's a guy I came into the season a little bit more optimistic on than most, and he's, I think most people would say, probably one of the more disappointing uh, pieces, who's Malachi Branham. Um, 
he's not uh, performed too well. And I think in any way, I don't really know that I don't have the numbers off the top of my head, uh, but um, obviously had opportunities in the starting lineup um, has, I think had some moments where he's gotten little or no minutes on uh, in some given games. Um, and I think we just, we need to get this guy like, Try and let try and at least uh, set up a situation where you give him some rhythm, uh, showcase a strength. Uh, th- we're going into obviously lots of picks to come, but including this one where there's a lot lot of guards in the draft. There's a lot of ways in which he can get lost in the sauce fast, um, and you know this is probably one of um, his better opportunities to uh, come back and 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 show something. So I don't know where you're at with him at this point. Is he somebody who you were? Where, where, how much, I guess, would you say, would you consider this season a disappointment for him? And, and where do you kind of stand with him right now? Yeah, no, you know, one of the things that I expected to see from him was an improvement from the three-point line. And we really haven't seen that. He's been, he was at around 30% last year, and he's been at around 30% this year. There was, I, I can't remember exactly which game it was down the stretch, where he hit like three of four or four of five or something like that. There are little games that he has here and there where you can see him finding a rhythm. His rookie year, the thing that really stuck out was just how machine-like he was, how machine-like he was in the way he operated, and how his shot was the same every time, and how he figured out ways to get to his spots and convert. And part of that is, look, we've seen a, a bunch of soft, like sophomore slumps are a very real thing in the NBA. Like they are a common occurrence. So maybe that's kind of just what it is at this point. But, and because when you come in the league, defenses don't really know that much about you. And if you are as technically sound as a guy like Malachi Branham is like, you can come in and succeed pretty quickly. Uh, But once you get to your second year, like uh, teams are ready for you. They know your tendencies. They know what you like to do. So I think that there's probably an element to his game where he's going to have to get creative and figure out how to adjust, get stronger, all of these things. Uh, I'm not I'm not so worried about his ability in the mid-range just because I think that area of his game is so, is so pure and technically sound that he's going to figure that stuff out. But to me, man, it's the three-point shot. I don't I, – his, his form looks too good to be a 30% three-point shooter. I don't really understand it. I – at first – his rookie year, you could tell that he was so locked in at like the three, the distance of the three-point line in college basketball. He left a whole bunch of threes short, and that's not really the case this year. He's just not hitting them. He's just off, and I don't really, I don't really get it. But I, I do think that there's going to be patience with him. Yes, uh, there are going to be more players coming through the pipeline in short order, but I don't think that he's in any sort of like, unless there's some obvious trade to be made and he needs to be part of it uh, to make salaries match or whatever. Like he's certainly, (laughs) certainly someone who's going to be on the table or available. Nobody like only maybe, maybe two maximum three guys are going to be difficult to trade for on this team. Uh, One of them is untouchable obviously. But yeah, to me, Malachi, it's three point shot. I want to see that thing start falling consistently. It just, it has to be sort of the next step in his game. If he can, if he can get there, then the interior stuff, the, the mid range areas that he likes so much are going to open up a lot more. So, you know, it's obvious, like start hitting the threes. Things are going to open up more. Do you know how many free throws he's attempted this year? Like total? Yeah. 
Ooh. Well, let's say per game. Uh, let's go per game. Per game, I'll say. Well, I'll say two. I think that's high. It's high. He he was he was at one point one his rookie year. He's down to point six this year, which is man uh, thirty free throws. That's so there, there's there's the three pointer is is important, obviously, but it's just the the stuff kind of in between the hash marks, like um get like around the paint. Um, it's it's yeah. it's it's across all three levels right now where there's something just needs to fall into place and maybe everything else does. But um, I just right. don't know how rich the opportunities will be in the years to come with more talent yeah. coming in with a higher priority of winning. And I think that um, this is a good chance to kind of um, rebound a little bit and put himself in a good position. It's, yeah. Year. It's a valid question. Um, I, I'm not sure it's going to get crowded real quick unless there are trades made and there are going to be trades made. I don't know what they are at this point, but Something is going to happen. They have too many picks. They can't make them all. Uh, there are only so many roster spots. So things are going to change. We'll see how they do. Uh, and Malachi might be in the center of that change. We'll see. Uh, one area that I'm interested in is uh, obviously like the Victor at center. And I guess, I guess depending, again, depends on what happens in the upcoming drafts. But Victor at center and Jeremy at four is seems like a duo that's going to be going together, you know, running together for a long time. But I'm curious about the five position and I'm talking about Zach Collins, Charles Bassey and Dominic Barlow. And we talk about shooting. One of the reasons that Zach Collins got the contract that he did is because he was hitting 37% of his threes. And for much of the year was like pushing 40. It's just completely fallen off a cliff. And he is fine defensively. He's a really good passer. He does a lot of good things on a basketball court, but if he's not hitting the three-pointer, he's like bare, he's like replacement level, if not barely less than replacement level. And so and then you 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 combine that with the improvements that we've seen from Dominic Barlow. I'm not sure if Dominic Barlow is a 4 or a 5 moving forward. He he He's certainly at this point more of a four than he is a five. But I think there's a genuine question of like, at a certain point, even though Zach is about to enter into this extension, so it's going to complicate things a little bit. There is the element of when do you start incorporating Dominic Barlow into the regular rotation? Like when do you convert him to a standard contract? Do you convert him to a standard contract this season? It's it's a it's a a legitimate question because he is playing well when he whenever he gets time and you can see the sort of elements of his game that are still very raw for sure and he's still even though he's gotten bigger and stronger he's still small compared to a lot of these guys on the court there's a long way to go for him but you can see sort of the seedlings of something happening there and then you have Charles Bassey who when he was on the floor this season before he got hurt, had one of the best defensive ratings on the team. I mean, I think for a while he had the best, like the Spurs were at their best defensively when he was on the court. So you have sort of the this this these three dudes who do things differently, who have different skill sets, but there's only going to be so much room for them. Like at least one of those guys is, I would guess, in the next year, probably going to be gone at least and one. I at least one yeah right at least one of these guys and 
I just, uh, to me, like that is going to be an interesting question to answer because yeah, they're, they all have, they all have their flaws. They all have their strengths, but I want to see how obviously Bassey is out for the rest of the year, but I'm really curious to see how, how much Barlow can come along and if he can make enough of an impression to be converted to a standard contract before the end of the season. And if he is, what that looks like, like how much they're, you know, are they going to give him a deal similar to Bassey's, which was four years, $10 million every year, non-guaranteed. Are they going to commit money to him? Like, what are they going to do with this guy moving forward? And what is that going to mean for, uh, for Zach Collins? Like the big man position to me is the, at least the conversation around it is an interesting one to me. 78.5 net rating, Dominic Barlow, Victor Wembanyama minutes in a, in a, how many minutes would you guess? The offensive? No, net rating. <laughs> oh, no, net rating. A net oh, rating. Net An rate. offensive rating of 138.5, a defensive rating of 60. Okay. <laughs> uh, uh, they have not played very much together. I would not. bet five minutes. You are right on. Five minutes. You hey, look plus. at that. Yeah, look at five that. minutes. Are you, are you curious at all seeing them play together, or are you more exclusively interested in Barlow as a backup five? No, I mean, I would be interested to see them play together. I think it's just been basically out of necessity that they haven't played together. Like, yeah. uh, you know, they, they, whenever Barlow is playing, it's normally when Collins is out, like um, something like when Collins had the ankle injury or whatever, um, or if it's like garbage time and Zach Collins and Wemby are both on the bench, like Barlow's getting those minutes. So it, they, they, he really hasn't been, a part of the Wembenyama rotation, but I'd like to see more of that. I'd yeah. like to see Barlow and Wembenyama uh, play together more. I think they would, I think I, it's hard to say like what would actually complement Barlow. Cause I think his, his game is just too ambiguous <laughs> at this point. Um, but it, I, I would be interested in it. Like he's an, he's an athlete. He works hard. Uh, he's energetic. He can kind of clean up around the basket. He kind of does whatever you need him to do. So, no, I'd be really interested to see to see more of those minutes. So, um, yeah. I okay. Let's uh, again. I know you need to go, but let's wrap it up with this one. And this is a guy, this is a guy that you profiled at training camp. I I don't know. Julian Champagny seems to be sort of a mainstay in the starting lineup at this point. I mean, he, he hasn't budged from that position for a while, but I, that guy just, I didn't expect, I didn't expect like huge things from him this season necessarily, but the way that he disappears offensively is so strange to me. And, and I think that now here in the second half of the season, they, I mean, they've already ever since the trade deadline, they've needed more three point shooting from him, but it's, he talks about how he learned things. When you ask him about this stuff, he talks about how he learned things from Doug McDermott while McDermott was on the team in terms of chasing space, moving, getting open, cutting all this stuff and things that like that Julian Champagny was good at in college. And I want to see more activity from him. Uh, like uh, just going forward, who knows what his role is going to be with the team. But as long as he's in the starting lineup, like they really need consistency from him and they really need him to chase that space and to cut and to open up 
lanes for people. Like there's so much, there's, there's a lot more off ball responsibility uh, when it comes to, to clearing passing lanes, to clearing driving lanes, to just opening up avenues for others to score. And Doug McDermott was really good at that kind of stuff. Even when he never touched the ball, he was such a, a gravitational pull. And I'm, I'm not saying that I expect Champagne to have that sort of gravity, but these are the kind of things that, that even in that starting lineup, when you're not asked to do a whole bunch, I think the Spurs would like to see more activity from him moving forward and just making higher IQ basketball plays. It, I don't know if he's got that in his bag on a consistent basis, but as long as he's in the starting lineup, I think you just want to see a little bit more from him, right? Yeah, yeah, and th- there's there's a skill set, like you said, that could be used more and that can fill in more gaps. Um, you know, could, could you run some funny uh, Vic, Julian Champagny, like pick and rolls just to kind of uh, get what I assume is one of the weaker guys, um, the guy there maybe hiding on defense on Vic, just kind of disrupt things in, in a funny way and then set up uh, yeah. Champagny for some for some three-point looks. Uh, obviously, he's... To be clear, he- Wemby... To be clear, Wemby dribbling. Wemby uh, dribbling. I don't. I don't want course, to because that's the Wemby world we dribbling. live in. No, yeah. we don't want. Well, yeah, no, we don't want Champagne doing that unless it's uh, you know uh, whatever weak side uh, late shot clock type stuff. Um, right. But right. Um, yeah, I mean, he's he's somebody who has the skill set. He's um, thrived in summer league when he had a lot more of a, a greener light, um, and I think he's still finding that footing um, in in a role where there's you know obviously um, starting lineup so facing quality opponents, mm. but, you know, uh, finding the right usage, finding the right um, uh, ways to fill in those gaps. So, um, yeah, I think w- w- another another fun little storyline to follow as the, the year gets to an end. Well, um, real quick, I, I think stuff, the other stuff I'd like to see, and I think everyone else would like to see, just the, the way Blake Wesley has developed. You want to see that continue. Uh, you want to see the game continue to slow down for him offensively we've seen what he can do defensively just we want to see him keep dunking on people or trying to dunk on people every single time more dunks more dunks more dunks more Um, blocks um just driving people insane um sticking to them like glue yeah um i also i I think he's no go ahead go ahead uh I, i had uh devin vassell uh in my notes and i just had wrote the word more uh, next to Devin. More. More. Um, okay. yeah. uh, this team, uh, I think, still wants to kind of make sense of what hierarchy he might be in an ideal, uh, you know, big centric system. Uh, the team usage drops off quite a bit uh, after Victor Wembanyama, and uh, I think that's where you expect more of Devin Vassell to be, you know, eating into those reps, dominating possessions, anchoring them, um, commanding the defense. Because if you can have a situation in which defenses have to mind, Vassell on one side or, or, or really, you know, hone in on that two-man game. Uh, that's one of the hopes that I think a lot of people had coming into this season. And uh, we've seen glimpses of it, but um, just not quite the fully realized um, Devin Vassell where he's doing it and, you know, not necessarily um, kind of cashing in on uh, points when, when games are a little bit out of hand. Oh, you, you want to see it when games are competitive and, and really yeah. seeing a locked-in complementary piece in Devin. Um, if if he's not going to necessarily step into what he can be defensively, I think just more more of him one way or another. Um, hard to hard to imagine it when you know we're, you're sort of approaching the finish line of a season, but it would be nice. More Devin, and maybe more specifically, like 
a more aggressive Devin, yeah. right? Like he's he's always going to be a guy who, you know, you know, there are some players who will set up their jump shot with their drive, but he's kind of the inverse of that. Like he sets up his drive with his jump shot. I, I well, think he, he, set, he sets he be... sets up one jump shot with his jump shot, another jump shot with that's his true. jump shot. Is, that's is true. That's true. He sets tall. up his mid range jump shot with his three point jump shot. Exactly. Um, but I think that one of the things that you'd like to see from him is when that jumper isn't falling, like don't take seven of them or eight of them before you really get aggressive and try to get to the rim get to because the, he's or, been such a good finisher at the rim this year or get to the line. I think is, is really where, yeah. you know, find, find a way to get crafty um, and do what um, a lot of these, you know, uh, it's hard to put pressure and say elite, but these, 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 these bucket getters, even like, an, you know, Austin Reeves is this an example of somebody who's just smart at, using craft yeah. to, to get to the line and seeing a little bit of that is another way where you can find his rhythm, stay involved um, and uh, you know, punish teams in a way in which it's not just for lack of a better word, settling for one of the, the game's hardest shots, even though he does hit him at a great clip. Well, and I think that's probably one of those things that we'll, we'll see more of, or he's going to address more of this summer is the ability to leverage his jump shot to either get to the rim or to draw fouls. Yeah. Like you mentioned a guy like Austin Reeves, who's, who's kind of a grifter, but whatever he gets no, calls. Grift. Um, grift, grift, Devin, grift, <laughs> grift away, Devin. Um, or like watch tape of, of DeMar DeRozan, you know, yeah. just stuff like that. Like, um, guys who aren't these super bursty players, but because of the threat of their jump shot, they're able to get to the rim. They're able to draw fouls. Uh, I think that's probably something sure. It would be cool to see more of it down the stretch here. We'll see uh, how, you know, what he brings to the table, but realistically, that's probably one of those things where he's like, he gets in the lab with someone over the summer yeah. and starts working on that side of his game. Right. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we'll see. Uh, I guess the only other guy who's on an expiring contract that's, that is going to be interesting to watch moving forward is Jetty Osman. He's young enough to where you're like, oh, I could see him playing for this team on their timeline. Uh, he's another one of these guys the team loves. He loves being in San Antonio. He's a contributing factor like almost every night. He's clearly a good fit. Pop loves him. so Very, very uh, hashtag Spursy. Very hashtag Spursy. So he's another one of these guys that I think – you're, you know, whatever. It's not, if they keep him great, if they lose him, it's kind of, it's kind of whatever. Right. But you, you don't, you don't want to just like blow up the team this summer. I know a lot of Spurs fans want to just blow up the team this summer, but like, that's not, it's not realistic. Uh, You got to have some carryover. Like you're, you're building a team up for the future. Now it's about which whatever uh, uh, 10 to 12 guys stick. 10 might even be low. Like we're, we're talking about a roster that for the most part, it's going to return a lot of guys next year because the Spurs like continuity and continuity is important. And if you're, unless you're bringing in like multiple all-stars out of nowhere, which they're not going to like, that's not, that's just not realistic. Uh, you, you need the continuity. You need the familiarity. If you're going to build on what you, what you're going through with Victor right now. So Look, we can talk about we'll we'll revisit a lot of this stuff toward the end of the season. Uh, but for now, uh, during the All Star break, it's a good time to sort of reflect on what we've seen and maybe what we'd like to see moving forward. So I appreciate you joining me to do that today, Bruno. Do you have uh, Do you have anything 
that you've written recently or about to write or, or anything that you'd like to plug? Absolutely not. My promise to you is next time I'm here, I will have written something that I have to plug. Really? Absolutely. Okay. Yeah, that's my, my, my promise to you, the readers, the content. Sorry to those. Sorry to the haters. Well, thank you, everybody, for listening. If you haven't already, uh, please subscribe to Small Market Bias. Rate and review if you feel like it. You can find it on Apple, on Spotify, pretty much all of the major you know, podcast locations, podcast platforms. Um, but yeah, we, we really appreciate you listening. We're having fun doing this. And we want to continue doing this for the coming months and through the summer and into next year. And who knows how long after that. Uh, but for Bruno Passos, my name is Matthew Tynan. This has been Small Market Bias, brought to you by Bet Online, and we will uh, see you next time. You know, when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.